1: and gentlemen welcome to the heretics hour with me carolyn yeager the date is march 30th 2015 and this is a live show tonight so callers are welcome the call-in number is 323-642-1206 1206 maybe i should say and i'm not ain't really aiming for a two-hour program tonight either but I'll just let it take its own course, so we'll see. Before I get started, I want to thank Raymond S., not Raymond Goodwin, for a generous donation this past week and for a nice card and letter that accompanied it. I'm going to read it to you. Raymond wrote uh, on March 18, 2015, Hello, Carolyn. Five years of hard work. Your five-year anniversary program was excellent. I have listened to your program since you were broadcasting on Voice of Reason. I found that your read-along programs, such as The International Jew and Hitler's Table Talk, have allowed me to set aside time each week when I could read along with you and your guests. I do not think that I would have found the time to read those works otherwise on my own. Your reading from Portions of the Fire broadened my knowledge of the massive U.S. and British bombing campaigns of genocidal destruction that was visited on the innocent German civilians throughout the country, certainly war crimes without punishment. You deserve to be recognized for your indefatigable research, intelligence, courage, and perseverance in educating the uneducated and even the uneducable. (laughs) You are so recognized by me. I have enclosed a little something to help defray some of your current expenses. I look forward to your next five years of programs. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Best personal wishes to you and enjoy the cup of tea. Raymond from Florida. Well, Raymond did send a a packet of tea that was a part of the card that he sent. And I really do uh, appreciate hearing from uh, listeners like that. And, uh, of course, I like it, especially when they're so nice and complimentary, as Raymond was. But I do like hearing from you in this way. Well, I've decided to talk about the plane crash today because there are a lot of side issues that it brings up. And it also has uh, been a focus that I have a hard time uh, uh, taking my mind away, away from. I, I'm always interested in what the next information that comes up about it might be but before i get into that i want to um tell you about one little story that was in the local uh, the local uh austria the local dot austria uh, about a 71 year old doctor who was sentenced for holocaust denial and he he's uh, from upper austria he's been sentenced to one year's house arrest for holocaust denial On Thursday, a jury at Linz court unanimously agreed that the letter the doctor had sent to the local council and the administration of the Mauthausen concentration camp memorial site in Upper Austria proved that he believed that the gas chambers and the systematic genocidal killing had been made up. Now, notice that they say that he believes this, but then he also wrote that letter. But they also seem to think, there that uh, if you if you believe it you you're a problem that you might be guilty of something and I want to tell you that Mauthausen concentration camp was was a grade three camp which meant that they were in, it was intended to be that one of the toughest camps for the incorrigible political enemies of the Reich I don't know who made that statement the incorrigible political enemies of the Reich but there were grades of camps and grade one was the uh nicest one the best one and then there was two and uh I think uh Buchenwald was a grade two and this camp was a grade three so it really was meant to be uh, har- uh more harsh and less uh, um pleasantries than the uh than the, some of, than the other camps so this was the type of camp it was but it didn't have a gas chamber um, and uh, it's, it even, there's, there's nobody's hardly ever insisted that it had a gas chamber, but uh, this man wrote that he noticed, this doctor, that he noticed that there was no gas pipe leading to the gas chamber that they have, that they call a gas chamber there, and he could find no explanation of why this was so. The head of the, of the memorial appeared in court, And he said that SS men had removed the gas pipes shortly before the camp was liberated in 1945. And he says uh, this was proven because the area where the pipes would have been had been plastered over. Well, that's all he had to say, obviously, that uh, where he says the pipes would have been has been plastered over. Who knows who plastered over it, you know, but uh, he says that the SS did it. Now, um... I say there were no gas chambers at Mauthausen. And uh, this man, who uh, was from the Muvertel region in Upper Austria, wrote that he became convinced after visiting the Mauthausen site that the gas chambers had never existed and that therefore the Holocaust must be a lie made up by Zionist bankers who are still up to their mischief in Israel and the Arab Spring. That's all in a quote there. And I think it's kind of uh, funny, cute if you can call something like this with a word like that. That he he doesn't want to say Jews, you know. Uh, that's in Austria. That's really really getting in trouble. So he calls them Zionist bankers. That's what he called them, who were who were um, who made up the the Holocaust. And then he goes on to claim that Hitler and Germany were not to blame for World War Two, and that Austria. Would be forever burdened with the Holocaust cudgel well you know he is right and good for him for saying that and for standing up for that and for doing so he gets a little attention but uh he has to accept uh, a one-year house arrest for it all okay um I want to tell you a little more about Mauthausen because uh and, the, and their so-called gas chamber which they didn't have what you know on uh, wikipedia has a very long page on this camp and goes through uh, it covers all kinds of terrible things that went on there starvation and uh you know um, people trying to kill people from overwork there they did have a rather a harsh work schedule well I don't know how harsh it was they they did quar they worked in quarries mining you know anybody who went to the Soviet Union gulags they were doing a lot of that even Wilhelm Christman was doing uh mining quarry quarrying in uh when he was in that British run camp in Austria for uh almost two years now, uh, but in, from 1940, Mauthausen was one of the few camps in the West to use a gas chamber on a regular basis. This is what Wikipedia says in one little tiny paragraph. They cover the whole gas chamber thing in this one little paragraph where somebody has added that uh, they, they had a gas chamber earlier than the other camps, so starting in 1940. In the beginning, an improvised mobile gas chamber, a van, with the exhaust pipe connected to the inside, shuttles between Mauthausen and Gusen. They, so they, they had one. They didn't have a gas chamber. They had a gas van. We've read all about those, or we've heard about them at least, and those were fake, those were fake too. However, in um, Gusen was a sub-camp of Mauthausen that was supposedly worse than Mount, what was going on at Mauthausen. By December 1941, it reads, a permanent gas chamber that could kill about 120 prisoners at a time was completed. And there's two sources for this. Neither one of them are good. Uh, One is Robert Abzug, who wrote wrote in 1987, Inside the Vicious Heart. So you can imagine what kind of a book that was. And the second one was by Michael Shermer and Alex Grobman. Together they, were, I think it might have been even an article called "The Gas Chamber at Mauthausen." It was written in 2002. Great sources, huh? We know that Michael Shermer is a is a proven liar, and even David Cole has called him a liar. So there you go with that. Now to move on to the crash. I call it the crash, and I, why I say that it reveals anti-Germanism that continues not only from 1945, but actually anti-Germanism started uh, coming along in 1871, if there wasn't some of it earlier, but I mean, I'm not going back to anything so far in the past, which would have been uh, temporary maybe. But this crash was so horrific this german wings crash in the french alps that it threw an engine turbine 400 meters up from the point of impact that's that's pretty uh, amazing and the debris of the plane is spread across some two hectares or five acres of mountainside five acres it's spread but they say they're not giving up until they find this flight data recorder which logs uh, not giving up the search around there they've been finding uh, body parts and uh, other things but they're still looking for that flight data recorder which uh, logs all the technical data from the flight or um, the uh, the um, hmm, machine data and it's essential for the investigation some people say they even the the investigators say they, they really want to find that so that their investigation can be complete. They feel that it's complete and certain, that, that both of those uh, should be able to be looked at. But if if it has, uh, one of the uh, investigators said, if it has n- not been completely destroyed or pulverized, the black box will be under the rubble and debris. We must work with caution and a lot of precision. Well, they see, they found the casing of the flight data recorder. But uh it had been broken open, it was damaged so badly and the contents were not in there. So they had the contents had been knocked out. I don't know if that's a black box or if it's just called a black box but the casing is kind of a bright orange. And uh the these um these black boxes are supposed to send off send out a signal so that they can be found but uh, this one is not sending out any signal so it's obviously a uh, pretty badly damaged but they're hoping that if they just keep going through all the rubble that they'll come across it and that would be very good if they did well now why I'm, I am uh, why I am talking about anti-Germanism rising here is that um, uh, there's a few examples of it it's not surprising uh the way it's put and who it's directed to but still uh if this was if this was a crash by any other country you wouldn't you wouldn't see things like this you wouldn't hear things like this being said so I'm going to go through them uh there's not that many but the only ones that I know about and on his uh first one is Neil Cavuto on his daily tv show on fox news friday he talked about the recent tragedy when a german pilot deliberately crashed a plane killing 150 innocent people forever um okay i say that you know i'm not sure that this uh pilot is well i'm gonna gonna skip that uh this quote is from cavuto's Stupid speech on his TV show. He said, something turns them. He's he's talking about mass murderers or killers. And he says, something turns them, changes them, perverts them. But what? When? Why? None of these questions are new that we've asked, uh, and we've asked them time and time again before. How about, uh, or about how these otherwise ordinary looking men going through airport security would later fly the planes they boarded into buildings and then it shows on the screen on the television screen the uh, um the the uh, 9-11 hijackers in the airport etc you know before they boarded these supposedly boarded these planes and then he says and how this slightly odd fellow Who apparently loved dogs could happily butcher millions of human beings and he shows a picture of guess who Adolf Hitler and Ava Brown with their dogs on leashes it's a very well-known photograph so he had to bring up uh, Hitler into the into the bargain here that's uh, Kabuto he's saying that this German pilot and Hitler loved to carry out mass murder now, also there was something at the Huffington Post, not surprising to find it there, and I just happened to see the the headline somewhere, and so I went, and there it was at Huffington Post. But it, there, they were, had an article featuring a number of the crash victims, and they featured all the non-Germans on the plane, uh, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, and then a few Spanish and uh, a few Germans two two really and then the the class so they're um well I just took it that they don't want to they don't want to see Germans as victims too much you know they don't want to portray Germans as victims so they play down the German all the Germans that died on that plane and the number was about 72 now is what they say 72 Germans and thirty Spain, Spanish people, and the rest were assorted from assorted places. That uh, I don't know how many assorted places, but they had on that article two or three from Kazakhstan. No, they had two. They had one or maybe two or three from each of these countries that I'm going to name. That's all that. That's all that was on that plane. Whereas there was over seventy Germans. You see. But they they showed pictures and wrote articles and everything about about these people. Uh, One was from Kazakhstan and another from Colombia, Argentina, Japan, United States, Australia, Britain, Iran, and Israel. And there was only one Israeli on that plane, but they played him up real good and had comments from his family about what a wonderful guy he was and so on pictures of these people maybe they're the only ones they could find pictures of I don't know but they feature um, on there a few more, more Spaniards than they do Germans and the Germans that they mentioned were two opera singers the two opera singers which have been talked about mostly and one of these opera singers is actually a Ukrainian who moved to Germany for his career and then they mentioned the 16 high school students but don't name them. However, I think they don't want to be named as yet. Uh, that's that's possible. That's could be why they didn't name them. And their two teachers. Uh, these uh, so they don't encourage, as I said, seeing uh, Germans as victims. And th- these non-Germans. Uh, I don't mean to put them down by that, but they will be seen as victims of the German pilot. And the failed policies of the German airliner Lufthansa uh and then there's going to be a, a memorial at Cologne Cathedral in a few couple of weeks, two or three weeks in Germany. but I'll bet that it will have a very strong international flavor to it, and it will not be the German victims will not be given any kind of a pr- primary focus there um either so that's that's typical of the way the modern germany treats german victims but there's also something in the new york times which uh was quite unpalatable un unattractive uh, and i a friend sent this to me just today i had not seen it i think it was from the 28th but uh, i'm glad that uh, i saw it this afternoon And several things that they say in there, Uh, the first one I'm going to quote is, they write, uh, In the decades since it emerged from the ruins of Nazism, this country, which reunited in 1990 and in recent years has dominated Europe as its economic powerhouse, has come to define itself as orderly, rule-driven, and well-engineered. It is an identity that is both an antidote to its past and a blueprint for economic success. So that's not very friendly, you know. Um, it talks about that it has to bring up the ruins of Nazism, or as a matter of fact, it was the ruins that the Allies created. Germany was a fine country if it hadn't been bombed the way it had, the way it was. So that's it wasn't the Nazis who created those ruins, but they. They want to say if it wasn't for the Nazis, it never would have happened. So, and, and you know, I do want to point out right now that the New York Times is probably the most Jewy of all the Jew-run newspapers. It's, but it has a more sophisticated slant to it, and for that reason, it gets to be even nastier than uh, the, uh, any normal Jewish-run paper would uh, would think about being. So the next quote from this New York Times article is now Mr. Lubitz, born and raised in one of those pretty towns. He, he above he talked about the the uh, the orderly, well-driven uh, country that it was, and then he talks about uh, a, a, a city of, I mean, a country of pretty little towns. And he says Mr. Lubitz, born and raised in one of those pretty towns, has upended that well-ordered wor- world and challenged other assumptions built into German life. So the assumptions about how well-ordered and uh, well, mm, what, how safe and good German life is uh, have been upended by this Lubitz, according to the New York Times. And they are just uh, dripping dislike and put down when they talk about uh, how he was, this horrible man was raised in one of those pretty little towns. And they would not speak of pretty Swiss towns like this, I'll bet, anything. Now, another, then further on, they say, Germans' determination to guard their privacy is a legacy of Nazi and communist rule, where the state, when the state snooped on citizens, they're blaming what happened on too much uh, emphasis, too much need for privacy uh, in German life. That they They act like the Germans want all that privacy and demand it. But... I have a different take on that, which I'll come up to in a little while, maybe very shor- shortly. But it's a lie that the privacy the, the, that um, that 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 pe- that the public was snooped on, that the uh, that the Nazi regime uh, and they say communist rule. Well, in East Germany, the communist rule. But we're talking about um, well, okay, communist rule in East Germany. But it's, it's a lie that uh, the Nazis snooped on citizens. They didn't. Um, so, you know, it, the snooping on citizens comes after 1945 in order to counteract what the uh, National Socialist regime was like. So it goes on to say, as often happens in Germany, teenagers cited their right not to talk to the media or gave only their first names. Well, they're putting down the, the people, even the teenagers, they said, um, from this school where 16 of their classmates were died in this plane crash, uh, that they don't want to talk to the media and they only want to give first names. Well, you know, as though it's because they don't trust anyone they're very suspicious and, and want to want, uh, over, overdo the need for privacy and so on. Well, the fact is they don't trust the media. Or the rest of the world, Germans don't. They they intrinsically know what what people think of them and what the media might say, and so they don't really trust. They don't have a lot of trust in in uh, those functions, but they that doesn't mean they don't trust one another. And then uh, the last one here is about the Lufthansa and Mister. They say Mister. Spohr. He's the uh, He's the spokesman the president is he now the president of Lufthansa he's been speaking a lot he's been the one who's been uh, in the news quite a bit making comments and statements and they say when Mr. Sporer was asked to explain the gap of many months in Mr. Lubitz training he cited the confidentiality of medical records although the co-pilot was dead not even the head of Lufthansa has access he said so this was an interesting insight here that uh they're 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 trying to get Lufthansa on being uh uh at fault to some degree here and but he said that uh, the comp there was a, a law about confidentiality of medical records and they didn't have access to his medical records well they didn't have access to his medical records but the doctors could have done something about that and we'll get to that I want to just look at the Lubitz name, the meaning. There's been a lot of conversation on certain sites about uh, this man being Jewish, which a lot of people would jump to that right away, that he's a Jew. Uh, Lubitz is a Jewish name. Well, I never thought that he was a Jew, <coughs> although he could be, but, I mean, the family could be. I think it's I, – I thought right away that he was Polish, and I think that – in his pictures, he looks Polish to me. But if I was told he was German and went all, you know, was the German all the way back, whatever, I could then say, well, okay, you know, he, he looks German too. So he can't really go by that. But I did try to find out what I could and on this, and I found that uh, the name on one site said it was an uh, Eastern German name a uh, habitational name for a place, uh, from a place so named or from any of several places, similarly named, all of Slavic origin. I do think it's, a, it's a, originally a Slavic name. And then I found there that the ITZ endings come from East Germany only. They're only in East Germany, not in West Germany. Because of uh, Prussian-Polish mixture there, and it's a, therefore, it's a Germanized Polish spelling, actually. Uh, Lubitz is, um, is Polish, with a, but it, the spelling is Germanized. So, and also that Lubitz meaning was a descendant of Lubomir. Now, to look into the Jewish uh, aspect of it, I didn't find very much. You know, um, looking at these uh, Jewish ancestry sites for people with that name, In the one, the only thing I actually found was that in the largest Jewish cemetery in Buenos Aires, there are seven Lubitz names uh, who were immigrants to Buenos Aires in 1908 and 1927. Well, they've got these, uh, okay, this is two different things. In the largest Jewish cemetery in this uh, big city, Buenos Aires, there's only seven uh, names, Of Lubitz. That's not very much, see? Uh, Not much at all. And then there are uh, some immigration records to Buenos Aires from 1908 to 1927, uh, 10 with the name of Lubitz. And five of these were Catholic, four Protestant, and one unknown religion. Well, they could be just listing themselves as Catholic and Protestant and be. and you know to hide their Jewishness uh I don't know so I whether they're Catholic Protestant or not so uh but eight of them came from ships leaving Bremen or Hamburg and two came from a ship uh leaving Marseille and they might even be just three families all with you know all with having that name of Lubitz okay so um the next thing up is a story by uh, In The Telegraph UK about Lubitz's father. And uh, this was on the 28th of March, and it says that his father um, is devastated, completely shattered by his son's act. Well, uh, and this is according to a French official who spoke to him, and this French official is the mayor of Prade's, Haute-Bleon, a small town near the site of the crash. So we have to depend on him. But he seems to be, he's very, very sympathetic to Mr. Lubitsch. He says he is carrying on his back the entire weight of the drama. He is a man whose life has broken down. Um, Mr. Bartolini, the French mayor, says he... He met them when they visited the uh, crash site and attended a, a memorial ceremony nearby on Thursday. He, the father, is a man whose life is in ruins. He goes on and on like that. I mean, who cares about his life who you know i am who has sympathy for him? I want to know more about him and where he comes from and what he does for a living well um. This guy goes on to say how much respect he has for him and so on. I, I wonder why he's going on and on. And he said even more than this about it. But to find out about the parents, um, it, there, there, there was some information about the early years saying that the young Lubitz grew up in the small town of Montabaur in the Rhineland, a town of 15,000, just a nice little size. Twenty minutes drive from the German city of Koblenz. Koblenz, Koblenz. With his uh, his father was a successful business executive, and his mother a piano teacher. The family was very comfortable and could well afford the cost of flying lessons, at the local clubs for their what seems to be only child. There's no mention anywhere of uh, siblings or. Uh, which I'm sure that would have come up somewhere along the line by now. So he must be an only child. And here he's, uh, okay, he left uh, Montabar at the age of 20. So up until then, he was living with his parents full time in this uh, in this town. He, that was in 2007 to begin his commercial pilots training in the northern German city of Bremen. It was a year into his training that he appears to have suffered the breakdown and took a break before returning to qualify. So at the age of twenty one in two thousand and eight, he's already had this breakdown. Obviously um, something uh obviously the the stress of the training was too much for him. He wanted to be an uh, a pilot from an early age, they say and he he was uh, very proficient at it he did it you know he was capable at it and yet he couldn't he couldn't deal with the training for some reason or whatever else might have been going on and a mother of a schoolmate of uh, of his told the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung that he had told her daughter lubitz had told her daughter that he had taken a break from his pilot training because he was suffering from depression i wonder how long he had been suffering from depression uh the woman said that this mother said apparently he had a burnout he was in depression she said her daughter had seen him again just before christmas and that he had appeared normal she added he was a lovely boy well you know how they talk like that he had a good family background uh you know they lived in a nice house and so on and uh, so he was, and he was a very polite, they say, a very well-behaved uh, young man. So he had a good reputation with everybody in the town. There's another person, um, this uh, Mr. Radker, the Flying Club, the, the Flying Club president, said he last saw Lubitz in the autumn of last year, 2014, autumn. When he returned to the club to renew his light aircraft flying license and take part in the club's barbecue, which he attended with a girlfriend. That's all we know there. He has, maybe that was the uh, flight attendant girlfriend from 2014. He said nobody at the club noticed anything strange in his demeanor. And this, uh, uh, Ruker, another friend of his from his from the air club at home, his hometown air club, Peter Ruker, said he did not believe that Lubitz was capable of such a thing uh, because flying was his dream. So you see how these people can uh, can be uh, fooled. Very, it's not hard uh, if you have learned how to do it to uh, behave properly because you know any other behavior is is not going to be accepted is not is not appropriate so you learn how to behave and cover up your uh your stress your poor stress management which is what he seemed to have um and this ruiker is saying what a you know he doesn't believe he's capable of doing what they say he's done but here's the thing with the father the parents they must have noticed something. But they, you know how parents are. They hope for the best. And they they think that he'll straighten out. They must have, but they must have seen signs. And no wonder the man is so upset now if he's feeling, he should be feeling guilty about uh, not saying anything. But the, the latest here about uh, Lubitz and everything they know about him came out uh, today. And this one says that, um, <clears throat> that in the, um, in the, uh, cockpit recorder tran- uh, transcript that they've, that has leaked out the last, the final minutes of the plane can be, um, it can be revealed that the frantic captain is heard screaming at co-pilot Lubitz to open the damn door. Now the captain's name was Patrick Sondheimer. That's a that's definitely a German name. He pleaded with Lugas to unlock the cockpit door before taking an axe in a desperate attempt to stop the plane crashing. Uh I don't this is this was published by the build um Sontag yesterday, but I don't know uh there's some people saying they don't know for sure that he used an axe. Um, that's I don't know where they got that idea but they did. And then the thing about his eyesight, that came up real big all of a sudden he's been he he feared going blind, he was going for treatment for his eyesight and so on. Well, um the facts about that that have that uh, can be determined are that um he did go to a hospital to have uh, to have his eyes checked and uh, no but here it says investigators will be examining the theory that severe stress caused by a fear he might lose his job as a consequence of failing eyesight may have driven him to commit suicide by flying an airbus into the side of a mountain into the French Alps, Uh in the French Alps. okay well you know what, what you notice when you keep reading all these news articles uh, for a week or two, that um, they the newspapers, of course, are going to grab hold of any new piece of information that they can find, and they're going to play it up so that they have a story that's, you know, new information, and people will uh, buy their newspaper, read it online or whatever, uh, and that gives uh, gives them more advertising revenue. So that's the way these newspapers work, and you you really can't be sure... Excuse me. what their how how well they have uh investigated this they they probably haven't they just heard it and they think it's a pretty good source so they use it so that's why the thing about the eyesight is kind of confused and the new york times reported over the weekend it says that old new york times again that lubitz had sought treatment at dusseldorf university hospital for his eyesight And the hospital confirmed that Lubitz had attended the hospital in February for an evaluation and then returned on March 10th for further treatment. The hospital has refused to say why Lubitz had sought treatment, but significantly ruled out claims it was for depression. And and so that would lend weight to the claims that Lubitz had gone to the eye clinic, which is uh, situated inside the hospital. Um, the authorities had not ruled out the possibility somebody said somebody close to the with knowledge of the investigation said the authorities had not ruled out the possibility that the vision problem could have been psychosomatic so he could be so worried and and because there's, there's no evidence that he was given a a positive diagnosis of anything being wrong with his eyes Um, it says uh, repeating about how he had this sick note um, excusing him from work but he didn't present it he didn't use these sick notes he tore them up and threw them away and another little item that came up was that police uh said the police who investigated the premises uh, said were said to have found a small mountain of antidepressants which it did not appear Lubitz had been taking. So he may have been getting along uh, all those years, like from the time he was uh, 21 in 2008 and uh, he had his breakdown. He may have been getting along by taking antidepressants. But they're saying that uh, there were a lot of them there, it didn't appear that he had been taking them. Well, whatever that's worth. He was said by friends to have been feeling low after recently splitting with his girlfriend, with whom he lived. This is kind of difficult because the the well, the convincing girlfriend that came and talked to the police, who they call Maria W., she says they broke up in 2014. She broke up with him. So he wasn't just, uh, he didn't just, he wasn't just, uh, he didn't just break up with a girlfriend. And yet there seems to be another girlfriend, possibly, a new one, who he broke up with. And it says here with whom he lived. I do not remember now the source of this information. It comes from, you know, responsible, supposedly, as, as we call them, um, news sources. Well, more about this uh I think it's more about this eyesight thing because uh just uh Dusseldorf prosecutors this this is comes from uh, Marseille France the byline but they're the Dusseldorf prosecutors who are on this case and what they are saying is that uh he received he had received psychotherapy uh, with a note about suicidal tendencies for several years before becoming a pilot but now they're coming out with his suicidal tendencies and his problem was that he was depressed and to the point of being suicidal it says here uh, uh, that spokesman Ralph Herrenbrook of the Dusseldorf prosecutor's office said in the following period uh, and until recently Further doctor's visits took place, resulting in sick notes without any suicidal tendencies or aggression against others being recorded. That's what he said in a written statement. Prosecutors said they have so far found no indication of a motive that might have prompted Lubitz's actions, nor any sign of a physical illness. So um, they don't they don't have any any kind of proof that he had an eye condition so they don't say he did just he may have worried about having an eye condition at one point they were calling it a detached retina I think that was a, a mistake an error I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was just that he was worried about his eyes and that would have prevent him from continuing as a pilot and his whole concern was was his uh career and and being a pilot so uh uh, Christoph Kumpa, Kumpa, another spokesman for the Dusseldorf investigators, said there was no documentation showing that Lubitz had any physical ailment affecting his site. So there you go. They, they they don't have anything to prove that. They're not going to say it. They're not going to do it. So he went in for checks, but uh, it appeared they didn't find anything, and he worried too much. They, they certainly can be in touch with that hospital. It says that he was there and he was there twice uh once for a follow up but they don't have and uh, they didn't find anything wrong with him apparently now uh the last uh, leaked the details the last details about the doomed flight say that uh, well that um that the captain Patrick Sonderheimer had said earlier in the flight, that he hadn't had time to go to the bathroom before uh, they took off. Uh, although the flight was delayed, I don't think I have it here, but I read that today that that flight was delayed about 25 minutes. And so he was telling the, uh, you know, from the cockpit, he was talking to the passengers and, and what, saying that they uh, might be able to make up that time because they had a good, they had good conditions and so on they might be able to make up that time and still land on on the scheduled time Uh, that happens fairly often (coughs) so at that point uh, uh, then uh, at some point they were discussing uh, the landing arrangements which they discuss uh, you know well before landing while they're in this uh, flight pattern high flight flight pattern as it's called, the most safe part of the flight. They're high up there and just cruising along until they have to start coming down for landing. And so they're discussing the landing arrangements. And uh, Lubitz is uh, then suggested to the captain that he take a break since uh, he was unable to go before leaving Barcelona, and he should go, he could go now. So then, uh, on one thing, it says that uh, that the captain says to him uh something like take over take over now something like that you take over and he just pushed you could hear his chair being pushed back and the door you could hear the door closing so that's when he left and that's when uh that was the ooh, ooh, the terrible moment now going to the um the the, the medical problems of this guy and why nobody caught on to it. How he continued to fly uh, with having all this long history of of seeing psychiatrists and being given uh, being told that he and being given medication, antidepressants and so on, and being given notes, sick notes, so that he you shouldn't the, the doctors would tell him you shouldn't fly now. You know if he would just been to see them maybe and they didn't think he was in too good of shape. Well, this Alistair Rosenshine, a former 747 pilot and now an aviation consultant, said reports of Lubitz's psychiatric problems were being, uh, um, that his psychiatric problems being concealed were worrying. Somehow, he said, somehow the doctors he was seeing were either not aware he was a pilot or chose not to inform the airline or the regulatory authorities, he said. But if this uh, at least one doctor gave him notes, sick notes, to give to his employer, well, I suppose he could have given him sick notes whether uh, he knew who his employer was or not. But if he did know that he was a pilot, then it would be more likely to give him these notes to excuse him from flying. And, of course, it wouldn't be good for his job, from Lubitz's standpoint, to be excused all the time for being sick. Uh, they wouldn't keep him on very long if that took place. So he never gave him these sick notes. And if he was decided not to take his antidepressants, um, don't really know about that. That's just purely speculation. But obviously he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing, and there was nobody who could uh, seemingly who could do anything about it. Now, if he was living with a woman at this time. Who was this woman and what was she saying? They don't really want to give out very much information. And I think it's all about the privacy thing. Everybody, I'm going to get into these privacy laws. Um, And this, anyway, this Rosenshine said that to my mind, it would be amazing if that was the case. If the the doctors uh, either didn't know that he was a pilot or... Uh, did not uh, chose not to inform the airline. He said that would be amazing if they didn't inform the airline. Clearly, they would in most circumstances be culpable. Well, that's what I think. I think the most guilty party here, uh, besides the parents, are the doctors who knew that he was a, a psychiatric type patient, uh, and if they didn't inform the airline about this that's um now then some people say that uh, the law tells you that you can't but the doctors can get around that so let's see um uh, they found his body parts but i don't think a little bit body parts but i don't think that they will be able to uh to tell anything uh about his mental it's about about his physical well-being or anything his state from that but um so i want to skip down here just a little bit to take care of this um okay in germany after the war uh, became uh oh that's me saying this um okay first i'll say lufthansa has also made clear that lubitz medical records were subject to doctor patient confidentiality and that the airline, therefore, had no knowledge of what they contained. Under German law, employers do not have access to employees' medical records, and sick notes excusing a person from work do not give information on their medical condition. Some politicians have called for a loosening of these rules in the wake of the German Wings disaster, I guess. But at a news conference in Berlin on Monday, a spokeswoman for the German health ministry said doctors already had the right to break their vow of confidentiality if they thought their patients posed a danger to others. Well, there you go. Um, They have that right. Do they just not want to use it sometimes? In this case, did they not want to use it? Or did they not know how bad he was? it's possible that Lubitz was able to fool his doctors too. That's what I think because if he had learned how to behave and how to respond in ways that would cover up what he was really feeling, uh, it's possible that you can do that. And he seemed to be pretty good at things like that. And uh, therefore, he was, uh, they thought that he was following their orders. They thought that he was using the sick notes and he was doing what he was supposed to do and he wasn't so how would they know um i would say just on the just on the face of it if this man was uh had a condition like this and they knew that he was an airline pilot maybe they didn't even know that it's it just seems crazy to me and i suppose all this stuff will be looked at i just hope it all comes out so um this may be why no one reported him. If they didn't, if they didn't really realize that he was flying when they told him not to. If they did know he was a pilot, uh, and they didn't go to the to the employer because they thought that he was he was following their orders. So, and you know, um, well, I'm going to go up here first and then come back to this, and and go through this little bit of business about Maria, the flight attendant, that he um, said they eventually split up when she felt, well, she said they eventually split up when she felt unable to deal with his growing problems and his increasingly volatile temper anymore. Well, here's the thing. We've got this story about Maria, which sounds very convincing, and even saw a picture of her from the back. (coughs) And then uh, the build on Sontag, I don't, I think they're too reliable, really, the build. But they do put out a lot of information, and, and fast, too. They, they don't hold it back. Uh, they reported uh, that he had a girlfriend, now a teacher at a secondary school in a small town near Dusseldorf, who had recently told students she was expecting a baby. Huh. Where, where they got that they didn't say any more about that or I didn't see any more than that uh, that might be not worth much but they there is another other reports that he's had a girlfriend presently and that uh, she very recently broke up with him but this couldn't be Maria because Maria said that they uh, went together last year for about five months uh, She says, uh, we dated for five months last year after meeting while working on a flight and would fly together around Europe, spending time in hotels together. So uh, he was capable of doing all that. Maria told the German newspaper Bild, we got to know each other last year on a flight and exchanged numbers. We met in hotels. Speaking of Lubitz's emotional makeup, oh, she said it was difficult because of their jobs. I suppose there might be something that... um, Uh, Or maybe it's difficult to find much time to spend together maybe because of their jobs because they're always on call to go on flights and so on. That might be what she means there. But she described him as a nice and open-minded person in public but who needed constant love and reassurance in private. Well, there's a warning sign right there. That's for sure. Uh, If you have any experience with different uh, partners at different times, you're bound to across some of those and she says he was a good man who could be very sweet he brought me flowers you see how they cut co- they cover up see how they um, make made her think that he was always uh, nice and, and probably he brought her flowers maybe to make up for some of his his uh, scary times that she witnessed and she said that he suffered from the pressure of his job stating we spoke a lot about work and then he became another person he became agitated about the circumstances in which he had to work too little money anxiety about his contract and too much pressure well um this is very interesting you know uh he's he's clearly a person whose his problems with his work his problems with his job his problems with feeling like the maybe lufthansa has too high standards and he feels he needs to keep up with with everything and, and be you know excellent and get excellent marks and so on, and then he has to. Uh, it makes him. It makes him, it's too stressful for him. He doesn't handle it well, and so naturally, he blames it on Lufthansa. He blames it on that company. He blames it on uh, that it's too much pressure, and then he doesn't get enough money for all that he's going through and so on. But he doesn't want to lose it lose a job either. So he's full of stress and and uh, confusions. Now, this Maria, now here's the other thing. He locked her in the bathroom. Where is this at? I don't want to get lost here. Um, at one time she said, uh, gosh darn it, um, <clears throat> that, uh, yeah, here it is. During conversations, she said he'd suddenly throw a tantrum and scream at me. I was afraid. He even once locked me in the bathroom for a long time. Now this this is really scary. This is I I, I wouldn't uh, you you know you should leave somebody right away who does that. She, she I think she didn't leave him right away after that, but she eventually did. And this that shows a super controlling personality, but it's childish too. Uh, this tent. Throwing tantrum stuff is childish, and doing things like that. It's terrible to be locked in a small space by someone who you can't trust, trust to have your best interests in mind. Of course, if he locks you in, he already doesn't, but, uh, and to keep you in there for a long time, she said. Wow. you know." Now, she is the one who should have reported him. I, she is very, very much at fault. They ought to prosecute her. Uh, except that she's coming forth and telling this voluntarily on her own. I think she did. But she worked for that airline, or she did. I don't know if she does now. But um, and she knows this, this deal. And she saw how sick he was, uh, and she should have reported him to Lufthansa uh, and uh, told them about his problems. And and maybe she didn't know that he was under a doctor's Uh, treatment she might not have and then she just thought he was one of these people who uh, turned out to be someone she didn't want to continue in a relationship with and then she was only thinking about protecting herself which is natural she would have been a young woman he was he was only then about 26 let's say and she was maybe what 25 or Something, 26-2 or something. But anyway, that's young in your 20s. That's young. And uh, you don't feel like you're responsible for the world. You just feel like you're responsible for your own life. And she felt she needed to get away from him and hope that he didn't harass her. And if he stayed away, she didn't want to stir things up. That's just the way I would look at it. Uh, But she should have. She should have. I bet she... She realizes that now and it and feels quite a bit of guilt over the whole thing. So, uh, let's see what I skipped. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to miss anything. Okay, the uh, so the girlfriend and the father and the doctors all should have said something. All should have spoken up. Uh, and said what they knew, in, intervened, but if the fathers could have been the most in the dark, as he didn't he didn't spend time with them, and he wouldn't uh, he, he if this this man was someone who could hide things, who could keep things from other people. That's what Maria said. Now um, we're done with that. Um, okay, now my comments about this. Um, is that Germany? This uh, this is too much concern for the individual. This this points to too much concern for the individual and not enough concern for uh, the society as a whole and the uh, the the majority of people. So, in spite of uh, contrary to what the New York Times was trying to say. Germany, after the war, became the opposite in every way to the third Reich uh, they didn't uh, whatever the Third Reich was like they well, that was that was verboten and this was thanks to the United States and so individual rights became the supreme goal right away and this is what the Jews promote in for european white Europeans too uh that we have to Give every individual, we have to protect every individual's rights against the uh, prejudice of the majority and so on. So this, this is being enforced, and not just enforced legally, but it's being, they're being brainwashed and indoctrinated into believing all of this. This is not the way it was. In the Third Reich, um, the goal was to protect the community of folk and the national interest. And Hitler talks about that a lot in Table Talk. comes up now and again, uh, that very that very idea that is so important to National Socialism. It's not the individual. It's the, I don't want to use the word collective, because it isn't that. It's really, it's the society and it's the community that counts. And if, if an individual is harmful to the whole society or the whole community, then he has to he has to be done away with he has to go uh you don't allow him to uh, continue to uh, damage all the all these other people who are the innocent ones He's not I'm calling him a he but in any event um, so individual rights became the supreme goal, and protect protecting the individual. Is the object of the laws today in Germany that's that's what it is and in the guise of you know we we realize protecting the individual is another way of saying protecting the Jew but also protecting the uh not the alien the immigrant and so on but uh that's a different issue so really um then Lufthansa has also made it clear that Lubitz's uh medical records were subject to this doctor patient confidentiality and that the airline therefore had no knowledge of what they contained. I've already gone through this um that uh, that this applied to uh to this situation even between a uh, employer and their employee uh the in, the individual rights are supreme and they have uh you can't look into their affairs and the uh but, in, but as I already said, um, the, there, there is a um, the doctors can they, they do have a vow of confidentiality and it is a law, it's German law. But they can break it if um, if they th- think their patients pose a danger to others. Well, I suppose they're going to want a exceptional proof of that, aren't they? Before they do it, they probably don't want to do it. Because it's not, it's looked down upon. Maybe they won't get the patients won't want to come to them once if it's learned that they've done that. Lots of things of that nature could could apply there. And so nobody reported him because of all this cult of the individual, I've now called it, um, or this this focus on individual rights over community rights. uh, Nobody reported him. The doctors. feel that they have to care for him. He's their patient, not the community that he endangers. He's their patient, and he's the one they focus on. We see this all the time. We do see this in other situations. And the same thing exists in law enforcement. And even the airline couldn't uh, feel that they could invade his privacy, that his employer, they had to accept his word on his own condition and behavior. Now, this is a real problem. If he said that uh, he was okay, he had the okay from the doctors or whatever, if they had any awareness of that, uh, then they had to believe him. They couldn't go to his doctor and say, well, is this guy telling us the truth? They couldn't do that. But the doctor could go to them. So this is the real problem, and I wonder if it's going to come up. You know, I wonder if it's going to be dealt with or talked about. Uh, it's, I, I don't really think so. But uh, I think that we should talk about it, and I would just encourage uh, anybody listening to this who might agree with me to uh, speak about it in this way and to try to push this idea where the problem really lies. It lies in the, the supremacy of the individual over the community, the community good. Uh, the in, the individual good uh, beats out the community good, which is the absolute wrong way around, and it's the absolute opposite to what was going on in the Third Reich, and therefore to say that oh all these things that uh, you know certain things happen because of the because of the uh, memory of the Third Reich a bunch of hooey, it's just that's just a big lie. I say here that uh, nowadays Germans. Uh, German so-called leaders don't care about the nation. That's the truth. The community, or even German people, they don't. Certainly not ethnic German people. They are cared for the least, especially since hundreds of thousands of non-Germans have become citizens and are legally and socially seen as German. And you better not say otherwise in Germany. That's you better not. Now, as I say, this could be a wake-up call, but unfortunately. It probably won't be. And a footnote to this story, um, a man named Philip Baum, B-A-U-M, which is a German name, but he's in London. as the um, He's based in London as editor of the trade magazine Aviation Security International. And he said, quote, the knee-jerk reaction to the events of 9-11 with the ill-thought reinforced cockpit door has had catastrophic consequences, and I thought about that before I read this from him, and uh, I, you know, I thought, boy, that not being able to get into that cockpit was a big mistake. And the, what's so dis, uh, discouraging and disgusting is that it it came from a lie. It's nothing even, you know, it wasn't even necessary. This 9/11 fakery. Is responsible in in uh, in one way for the death of these passengers. These passengers too, along with the, what the people who died on 9/11, and all the people who died since uh, in the fight against so-called fake um, um, terrorism and so on. And now the death of these these passengers on this German airliner, I think, is as much as anything else is 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 at fault and is to blame is this 911 crap that has happened um you no know, the laws and everything that have been passed it's like us having the homeland security which has been such a big pain in the behind uh all for something that never really happened and that you see that's jewish whether lubitz is jewish or not all that 911 stuff is jewish and that's a big lie a big lie like the holocaust lie So there's two jewish lies there that are behind what is what uh what was caused what well what was uh what happened on this uh airliner allowing that that sick person to be flying and having control of that airliner and you know another thing that makes me that came to my mind was that he he was uh i said that when he locked his girlfriend into the bathroom for a long time uh, that brought to mind him locking the door of the cockpit the same kind of thinking you know well he he knew he could uh he could do what he wanted if he if he uh lo- he knew he could lock that captain out. And uh, he, that's a, that's the a mark of a controlling person. I bet he got a big happy feeling about that. He probably thought about it a lot how he would lock him out, and then he would be in control of the whole plane. He'd be in control of all those people, and they would uh, nobody could do anything about it because he knew about the strength of the cockpit door, and it wasn't going to be that much time. You know, it was only uh, eight minutes that the plane was going down, far enough. So uh, this this is. Uh, one thing about him that's clear is that he's a super controlling uh monster sick person sicko okay i'm going to play a little uh, break music uh, just a short one before i go into part two which won't take too long and what i'm going to play here is um where did it go uh um, oh yeah it's under m uh, I'm gonna play this because uh, it's uh, um it's kind of slow and, and and not too lively and the the topic is has been so horrible. I just find this crash to be just a horrible, horrible thing uh I can't hardly imagine it, you know it just puts me in a state. So, I'm going to play Morgan Land by Peter Schreier because it's a quiet type song and it lasts for two minutes and 49 seconds, uh, 48 seconds. So, we'll be back in under three minutes. Stay with me. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Carolyn Yeager on the Heretics Hour on March 30th, 2015, and we're now ready for part two. I want to say a few words about the Daily Stormer site and the new focus on being a man's place where women may be tolerated but not really invited. And I want to say how glad I am to hear that. Uh, that is a probably good solution for that site, and it is another uh, victory for truth in a sense because it is not a place where women are appreciated. So, might as well not, uh, might as well just kind of close it off. I have avoided commenting on Daily Stormer for as much as I can, although I did comment not so long ago. <laughs> a couple of times about this uh, plane crash business uh and the pilot and his name because sometimes i just can't uh, resist but i really don't read this site like i used to and i only read comments when it's something that i really am interested in i have been feeling very alienated from the mood of that the tone of that site for several months I'd say increasingly so I pretty much uh, I go there and about every day because I have certain places I look at every day just to see what's there but I don't uh, I don't agree with it much and I don't there's not much there that I want to look at so I'm not I'm not uh, an avid reader or anything and so it doesn't make any difference to me what happens there, really, I, you know, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not affected in the least by what's going on. I only find it kind of uh, entertaining. It's sort of for entertainment and to see, mostly to see what Andrew Anglin is saying there that is, to me, so outrageous and, and often downright stupid, I have to say. So lately, he's been bashing women on Daily Stormer, and it's been going on for quite a while. And I've read some of these things that he has written, and I am just I just shake my head. And I do sometimes feel like responding, but mostly I have not, and certainly smart if I don't. And now I have more reason than ever to ne- never comment there again, which I certainly hope I will not do. I don't think I will. When you know that they don't care what you say, there's no point in saying it. But the reason, it seems, is that the Daily Star, particularly uh, Andrew Anglin, has has uh, been bashing women, is because uh, he doesn't think that they, subordin- they subordinate themselves to white nationalist men as he thinks uh, they should. And as the commenters on there would wish, and Andrew thinks he's such an important person that he should have the pick of attractive young white women who are just uh, ready to be his helpmate, and today's spoiled women aren't willing to play the role that he wants them to, that he has assigned to them, and he assigned this role to women back when he came out with uh, total fascism, but it didn't prevent him from being friends with women or being friends with me, because uh, he he mostly thinks these things about young women, younger women, the ones that they want and the ones that they want for wives and think should want to be their wives, but they don't. So they, you know, blame society and so on. But the thing is that he's been promoting this uh, law of nature in the wrong way. You know, they use the law of nature as, as used in National Socialism to justify what they're saying and what they're doing. Uh, one thing I can tell you about Ang- Anglin, as anybody can see who watches what he does, he's impulsive. And what race of people are known to be impulsive? Well, he's trying real hard to control his impulsiveness because he knows now that he, he it gets him into trouble. But it's hard for him to do because at the moment he thinks he's he just wants to let go with it. And uh, he also wants to go to the most extreme position. He likes to think of himself as a extremely courageous and brave and a lot of these people that follow him uh tell him that he is and he he feels he needs to to do that to be the the top kind of leader that he wants to be seen as he, he does it so that uh, he doesn't want to be following behind someone else he wants to be out in front so he goes to extreme positions and he that's the way he impresses or so that's the way he thinks he he can impress everybody in the movement or in any case that's just the way he is and the way he wants to do well I just want to bring up some things when I decided to talk about this um, on my program a little bit I thought I would better listen to that radio show he did with Sven Longshanks recently I had quit I had quit listening to the radio those radio programs they have on there i haven't listened to one for a long time so i i downloaded this and started listening to it and it wasn't very long so that was good but they bring up the adam and eve in the garden of eden a couple of times as the perfect example of natural order see here's natural order and however i wonder if they think about how it is the woman who supposedly in the natural order they always say the woman naturally follows the man and uh women don't have any mind of their own or they just have emotions and they um they need to be controlled and so on but they will their their natural thing is to follow the man that's all they know to do and yet why was it that eve took the initiative to try something new by eating the apple in the garden of eden while Adam then followed her example, and followed her and did what she did. So they never bring this up in this story, but they like to use this this story a lot to show how evil how women have this evil streak, and will go against God if you let them. And also, uh, I'd like to point out that this story is a Jewish fable, uh, although I realize Sven doesn't think so. But if you go if you want to go by what Jesus said about women well he said a lot of positive things but in one instance he actually said that Mary in the story of Mary and Martha when he had come to the to the town and he was going to um, visit with the these believers that were there and they were at the house of Mary and Martha and Mary was uh, sitting there listening to Jesus speak and Martha was in the kitchen doing you know preparing the food and so on for the men for the hospitality and mary was supposed to be in there helping her but she was out there listening to jesus and and when she called out and told mary mary you're what are you doing out there There's a lot of work to be done here and jesus said he actually rebuked martha and he told her that mary had chosen the better part that was uh listening to his words and learning while he was there that the food in the kitchen could wait but he was only there for a time, and Mary recognized that over the stereotyped role that she was supposed to play. And so uh, I think that Andrew, as a Christian, fails to recognize that about his religion, which he doesn't know much about and just doesn't know much about anything, really. But he uh, he never mentions this story. where he likes to mention the Garden of Eden, though. And then... Uh, at one point, Anglin said, we've all we've all had these horrible experiences with women. And I thought, wow. <laughs> right away, I thought, well, I certainly had my share of horrible experiences with men. And if I started in on it, it would be a very long show. But I still like men, uh, and uh, I don't uh, want to exclude men. from. If I excluded men from my website, I wouldn't have uh, hardly anybody looking at it, <laughs> cause it's mostly men. So... So I I don't have anything against men, but, you know, women, and I know I'm not the only one. A lot of women, women have horrible experiences with men, too. So, and then Anglin said, I'm around a fair amount of Russians. You don't see them acting like that. They were talking about the Anglo men being weak and not being able to stand up to to anything or fight and... I don't know exactly, but it was something like that. It was about the Anglo, putting down the Anglo men, of which they are. They are Anglo men, but Anglin says, I'm around a fair amount of Russians. You don't see them acting like that. Greeks don't act like that. Well, there he is again. He lo- he loves the Russians, and he loves the Greeks. Maybe he is in Greece still. I don't know where he is. I I don't know if he's gone to Russia. He hasn't. That I know of, he hasn't said so, but I don't read I don't read that much of what he writes anymore, so I could have said it. But he's got this thing about the Russians and, therefore, the Slavs. He doesn't believe in all of them, but the the Russians are the major Slavic group, so he's pro-Slavic and and he's always pro-Greek just because uh, uh, of Golden Dawn and because he spent time there. Okay, I'll just move on. He also said, in contrast... I am unapologetically arguing for a full-on return to medieval gender norms, quite literally. How dare you interrupt while men are speaking type stuff. Wow. Uh, And the men were just really eating, some of them, that were really eating this up, but some of them criticized it. But he said, uh, he says, he wants to return to, and I, he's not going to cause anything to happen. <laughs> he doesn't have the power to do that, but he's expressing himself, so that's all right. He wants to return to the gender norms where women are not allowed to interrupt men when they're speaking. And if they do, they're going to be rebuked sharply. And when they get home, their husband might give them a couple of pops. So uh, this is um, this is real male stuff, uh, well, we're so important, kind of stuff. And men should think they're important, but I think this is this is. Well, uh, if they don't want to be interrupted by by women, they shouldn't have the women around. They shouldn't be talking when the women are around. But they probably want the women to be serving them, or maybe their their wife is around with children or something. Or, you know, situations that can come up where the women are doing the womanly woman stuff that he thinks they should be doing, but if they should dare to speak up and when the men are having their conversation and wow, that's not gonna be allowed. He goes on to say, I'm quoting here from the radio show. There is some commonality between my position and the various positions of the men's rights movement because the issues they bring up are symptoms of the core issue which is that women should not have any rights at all. And this is the default position all throughout history, so there is no way to claim that this position is not traditional. "Traditional" Traditionalism, quote marks. Well, now, is he right about this? No, he's never right. He's hardly ever right about anything that he says. But uh, this is not the default position throughout all history that women didn't have any rights. As a matter of fact, neither women or men had rights uh, during all that time that they were, so many of them were serfs, and the the one only one that had rights was uh, the big landowner that whose land they worked on, and he could do anything. You know that that situation where the uh, noblemen of the area who everybody was under his uh, oh, I don't know governorship or something and even more than that they had to get permission from him to do anything, and he had first. Well you call it, first rights to every virgin in his in his territory that he controlled so every girl that came of age he took her to bed first and and took her virginity and then she went off and the other men could the men of her own type would uh, got second got her after that uh, if they married her or whatever this is uh this is really not right that these men were all powerful all the time and that women didn't have any rights because women of the higher class and of the nobility and the uh they they did have rights they were treated well depending on where you live but he's just all wet there now i say uh he realizes now he's been on the wrong track because then he says to something that sven said he said yes There's no real personal motivation in let's stop these niggers, in quotes, when basically people can still avoid them and the economic consequences of immigration are so slow relative to a man's life. There has to be something more offered there, and that something needs to be an identity as part of a community. So Andrew is now searching to be a part of a community. He wants to create this community of males, and they all find an, an identity in their own male community there okay so uh, what he's been doing he's saying well uh, with showing what the blacks and mestizos and and uh, Asians and so on do in Europe and in the USA that's not where it's at he thinks now uh, it's not hurting people enough yet so now he wants to do something to build up the male community that's what he wants to do. It's not a bad idea. Uh, this He says, this fact is always becoming more obvious to me, and I am definitely going to work hard to figure out how to make it more of a focal point of the site. I, of course, welcome any suggestions. Well, he won't take suggestions probably, but he wants people to think they can make them. However, it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch and see how he figures out how to make this identity, you know, identitarian community or something, which is not a new idea at all, which others have been talking about all along. And he's finally coming along and saying, well, I'm going to do this with my site. Uh, it just shows that he, he is impulsive and he jumps from one thing to another, and he's still looking, you know, he's still searching for what can push something forward. At least he's trying to do that. I do give him credit for that. Uh, but you know he's he's still looking for his own identity. He's always been seeking an identity. that's why he went to the Philippines. He thought he could identify with with something that he uh, um, that he connected with that. but he found that he couldn't identify with the with Filipino people. So when he finally realized that, he uh, left then he took up started reading some books and read Hitler, and then he took up uh, national Socialism. But he called his site uh, fascism because he thought he says he did it because he thought that was easier for people to relate to than national socialism because that was that included Hitler. So he started, He just came right out with that. Uh, what was what was it called? Uh, unlimited? No, un, um, fascist. Un, I can't even think of the name of it. But it was ultimate, like ultimate total total. That was it. Total fascism. Uh, He tried to be real extreme and radical, and he promoted uh, National Socialist things and lots of pictures and so on. And he got a lot of attention. I mean, he got an amazing amount of attention doing that. So then he wanted to to, uh, compete with uh, and do better than Alex Jones. He wanted to put Alex Jones out of business and have a a white nationalist type Alex Jones site. So he did uh, Daily Stormer and it's been a huge success if i guess it has been it gets a lot of you know we're told that it has all this traffic and i wouldn't i'm not uh, i don't doubt it because it's the kind of thing that uh, that gets a lot of traffic but how much it actually influences anything you see that's another thing that's another question and he's saying he's not he's not having the influence that he'd like to have so now he's deciding he these men on there are a bunch of trolls and Uh, jerks really who comment um, a lot of them are so now he wants to build up some kind of a male community he thinks that's that's the way to go well I give him you know I wish him well I really wish them all well but one of the consequences that has taken place not because of this little switch here but it has probably been going on over a period of time is that from what was written about on yesterday on that site I was happy to learn that this Marcus Cicero, this person who writes under the name Marcus Cicero, that's been there with Andrew for quite a while, probably a year or over a year, and doing a lot of really good posts. I just noticed uh, some of the more recent ones lately, and I thought they were—I thought these are really good—and they're better than than what he used to do. You know, he was okay, but so he's is uh came came out and said that on this this radio comment thread revealed i don't know it's not that he revealed it but he said that his ancestry was german and he was also disagreeing with andrew's stance on women so uh it's uh, i was very happy to see that because i was happy to see that this marcus cicero is german and that therefore i'm not surprised he can't stick with Andrew through thick and thin because Andrew's positions are very un-German. And I think he used to kind of copy Andrew's style in his writing, or at least I thought he did. But he got over that, and he has his own style now, and his writing was very good. The other thing that I noticed was that he, back a year or so ago, maybe, he wrote some articles about Putin, Putin the Great, you know he was admiring him too but he stopped that and lately there was not much about Putin on the side just once in a while but it was always by Andrew now and uh, Andrew wrote a couple of them uh, in the last week or two with his name on it and then he had another one there today obviously Marcus Cicero stopped writing about Putin so Andrew had to pick it up if he wanted to have something about Putin on there so I, I like to write to this Marcus Cicero, but I, I want to ask him uh, if he's changed his mind about Putin because that's the impression that I get uh, that, that he has. So he's uh, he's looking like a good, solid German, and what I find is that on Daily Starmer, in the comments, it is always German people who let you know that they're German in one way or another who make the most intelligent comments and who don't go all out for of this stuff and, and even are slightly critical of it or maybe real critical of it but so it's the germans who who have the most balanced point of view and germans do not bash women and germans do not take that attitude that uh we're going to tell women that if they they don't have any right to speak uh, while we men are speaking or something like that you know uh, that's not the german way those national socialists were very uh strong about the separation of the sexes, but only up to a point and they were very very gracious to women and they included women in most everything they could naturally they didn't include women in the uh in their inner councils and so on but if women were around, they didn't say you you uh serve the food and keep your mouth shut they didn't treat women like that so uh, at all so um Marcus has gotten has uh, found himself on the uh, un- unable to agree with uh, Andrew Anglin. You know, Andrew started out started this out not with so much the focus on men, but the focus on women and criticizing women in some of the most terrible ways. Uh, I think I've got a few comments here I can end up with, but I, I just I want to finish with Marcus here. I look I went through his archives a uh, daily stormer to see uh, when the last putin article was that he wrote and it was uh, or a ukraine article and the archives under his name only went back to january 2014 so i couldn't go back any further than that but there were, wasn't anything during that time but he wrote a whole lot of stuff but now he's gone from there and uh, I suppose he'll be showing up somewhere doing something. In fact, I'd like to have him on this program to interview him sometime, so I'll be trying to get a uh, hold of him. I don't know if he'll agree to do it. But I just want to say, Hail Marcus. Hail Marcus Cicero. Well done. And my opinion of what's going on at Daily Starmer is the takeover of the losers among white men, but I do still wish them well. I really do. I always wish men well, and i i I know that they have a tough time they do they are having a tough time. Let's see. Uh, there was something I wanted to say from this person, Hitler Truth. These are comments from this radio show I've been discussing, and somebody who calls himself Hitler Truth wrote women don't tell you what they really want because they don't know what they want only an idiot or a woman would equate happiness with a new kitchen a functioning kitchen is all you need but if you think new tile or drapes will make you happy you won't ever be happy since materialism is always an empty pursuit well how stupid uh, this what you find so often with commenters who write things like this, especially, is that the name they give themselves is the opposite of what they really are and how they really feel. So this Hitler truth is probably not a Hitler pro-Hitler person at all. It's just a, someone who's trying to be unpleasant uh, uh, Well, just trying to stick it to women. he likes that part about it. And I want to tell him that it's silly to say that because, of course, a new kitchen makes a woman happy and a woman can be happy for a long time after she gets a new kitchen uh, and to say a functioning kitchen is all you need no matter how dreary it is but well you've got a sink there and and you got a stove of some kind and you can put things in an ice box and so on that functions that's all you need if you want more well you're never going to be happy because you're such a materialist wow talk about going back to uh primitive times and being uh a dodo. Now the fact is that Hitler gave Ava Brown everything she wanted. This guy wanted to know about Hitler other than his time. Because he didn't have he couldn't give her his time and he liked her and liked having her around. He didn't really want to lose her once he got used to her and she was someone he she he could trust. She didn't go around blabbing things or acting in ways that were gonna embarrass him. So he settled and was satisfied with her and was nice to her and liked her she uh she liked clothes you know she had a huge wardrobe but he paid for that he he let her do that and he didn't think that was uh a bad thing to do because it was uh, like a compensation for her and it made her somewhat happy for a while <laughs> anyway let's see here oh this one i have to mention this is andrew anglin writing a comment march 28th domestic violence being perpetrated by white men is largely a feminist hoax which is why the Jews are all up in it I'm not saying that it never happens ever, but you watch the Jew TV and it is like some regular occurrence that white men just get drunk and beat their wives for no reason is that true? I don't watch TV but I don't think that TV shows white men beating their wives all the time because they got drunk, I don't think that that's what the TV is showing. If You know, there might be a couple of programs that have that, but not all the time. And domestic violence is not a feminist hoax. A lot of feminists do try to take advantage, try to make a lot out of it and talk about it and so on. I agree with that. They do. But there still is domestic violence. And men do, white men do get drunk. And beat their wives for no reason, be, but because they're drunk. And it does happen, and not I'm not saying uh, the majority do that, or even a big minority, but but it happens. Um, so it's silly to downplay it because it's a serious and it's a real problem. It can be a real problem, and there, women are not uh, making it up. There's some women might have uh, exaggerated it or something. You have to know the women, but you, uh, it used to be. That this happened and uh, it was real and it wasn't right either and to say women don't have any rights then this can happen one of the biggest problems with women not having any rights is that they are abused by the men in their lives oh oh here's the one I have to say this Uh, Andrew wrote on March 29th in a comment to this radio program thread it's just basic biology really If men were to take injections of estrogen on a daily basis, they would eventually become incapable of distinguishing reality from their personal emotions. So he has said this so many times, so many times, that, which I really objected to. And every time I've objected to it, I mean, in my own mind, when I read it, I think, why? What is, you know, this is so anti-female here, you know, because he, he thinks that women... He is saying that women cannot distinguish reality from their emotions. And he said said this many times in many ways, that all women are unable to distinguish reality from personal emotions. All they see is what their emotions tell them. They cannot see apart from that. They're so emotional. And that comes from them having a lot of estrogen in their bodies. Well, the other thing he says is women are like children women are he says that women are no different than children they say he says that a man men have to take care of women they have to look after them and care for them because they can't care for themselves and they they oh uh, something else he said which is clearly uh, meant only for children children behave this way children are completely incapable of being on their own i think that's what it was something like that that you can't leave children on their own children or women you know you have to look after them in the same way so he equates women with uh, children and they're not they're not anymore and oh yeah i know he said uh, you don't Rights to children, any more than you, why then you should you give rights to women? You know that there's no difference between the a woman and a child. Uh, that's pretty shocking, and a lot of the men are rejecting what he's doing and saying, but he doesn't care because this is uh, how he wants to express himself, and he's determined to continue on this track. And so I say all power to him and uh, good luck, and it's it's interesting but it's not new because uh, this kind of thing has come up before and uh, it doesn't get anywhere and it's never going to get anywhere you never what he is what he is recommending there is never ever going to take place in this world and he doesn't have the power to cause it to so ladies and gentlemen i am going to say good night now and thank you for listening to this rather chatty program this is carolyn yeager i'm saying goodnight for the heretics hour on march 30th 2015 and i might see you next week anyway continue to watch my website carolynyeager.net for future events good night